Come thou fount of every blessing To my heart to sing thy grace Welcome to a special Christmas edition of the CWCCS podcast with Al Pittman. Another incredible message coming from the front range of Colorado. If you've been following along with our Christmas series, you'll know that Christmas is a message from God the Father. It's a message of love, hope, and today's message is one of eternal joy. So let's not waste any time. Here's Pastor Al Pittman. Luke chapter 2. I've entitled the message today. We're talking, this is a series of messages concerning uh, Christmas messages and uh, the meaning of Christmas. And, and today the message is entitled, uh, Christmas, a message of eternal joy. Um, let's read the text together. It's very short. And then uh, we will get into the word. Amen. And of course, if you've been here for a long time, just because we have a short text doesn't mean we're going to have a short message. Amen. All right. So verse 36. Now there was Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. Not 84 years a widow, but she's 84 years old and a widow since her husband had passed after seven years of marriage. Who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, the very time that Simeon is dedicating Jesus on the temple mount there in the court of the women. She gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who look for redemption in Jerusalem. Father, we ask for your blessing upon your word today as well. We ask that your word would go forth with the promise that it will not return to you void, but accomplish that which you send it to do. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first message we have was a message of hope, and then a message of love, and now a message regarding joy, joy, a message of eternal joy, the Christmas message. The central character that we find in our text, of course, is a woman by the name of Anna. Her father's name, interesting enough, uh, Fanuel, literally means face of God. And she was from the tribe of Asher, and Asher literally means happy. Uh, Asher was the eighth son of Jacob. And the Hebrew uh, meaning for the number eight is that of new beginnings or creation. In addition to that, her name, Anna, literally means favor. So you could say this woman was a woman destined for eternal joy. And so are all those who place their trust and their hope in Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Psalms 5, verse 11, but let all those who rejoice who put their trust in you, let all those rejoice who put their trust in you, let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. Amen. God wants his people to be joyful in him. Joy is an important topic in scripture. This woman comes into the temple at the same time that Simeon is dedicating the Christ child. And being a prophetess, the Lord had revealed to her that this child would be the redeemer of the world. The ransom, the payment for the penalty of our sins. This is why she has great joy on that day. And this was the reason for the angel's declaration of great joy in his declaration, the angel's declaration to the shepherds, found in Luke chapter 2 as well, beginning at verse 10. The shepherds are in the field watching the sheep by night, and the angel appears and declares to them. And they were greatly afraid, but isn't it wonderful? Where there's great fear, there's a declaration of great joy. And so we read here in verse 10 of Luke chapter 2, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, amen, 
For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Amen? That's good news. A Redeemer, the one who would be our ransom, who would pay in full the debt of our sin. This is the reason for great joy. Recently, at a various locations around the country, we've found that there are strangers and, and celebrities, such as uh, um, Glenn Beck and then Tyler Perry is another, and even a celebrity uh, rock star by the name of Kid Rock has been paying off the layaway inventory for hundreds of people. In fact, it was reported that Kid Rock paid off the layaway bill for 350 people at a Nashville Walmart. I'm going to start doing my shopping at Walmart in Nashville. <laughs> Amen. These acts of benevolence are, are, are welcome acts of kindness, especially during this holiday season. But imagine how silly it would be for someone to have their layaway bill paid and to leave your stuff down at Walmart. I mean, if your layaway bill is paid, you're going to go get your stuff. Amen. <laughs> You're going to claim it. It's mine. The bill has been paid in full. The angel's announcement, when you think of it, was the divine declaration that mankind's spiritual layaway, the debt, judgment, we have laid up for ourselves because of our rebellion against God, could now be erased. Isn't that glorious? Amen. That's great joy. The psalmist declares in Psalm 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This, my friend, is great joy. As far as the east is from the west means that the judgment will never, it will never meet again. God has separated us from our sins. This is the great joy that Anna was rejoicing about. Amen. The great joy that the angels were declaring. And I thought, my goodness, Lord, if people can rejoice over the kindness of Kid Rock, how about the rock? Amen. Uh, Jesus Christ, what he has done for us. Amen. All this place ought to be erupting with great joy. Amen. For what Christ has done for us. The Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Great joy. Christmas is about great joy. This is great joy. The forgiveness of our sins separated from us as far as the east is from the west, man, you can't get happy about that. Check your pulse. In our Declaration of Independence is the popular phrase, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But the difference between joy and happiness is that happiness is circumstantial. Oh, if I have enough money in the bank, if she says yes when I make the proposal... <laughs> If people like me, if I get the right job, the right promotion, we're happy. But true joy, true life and liberty can only be found in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. Amen? The pursuit of Christ. You're here today, you've been pursuing everything else but Jesus. And you wonder why you have no joy. Only through the pursuit of Christ can we truly have joy. Anna understood this. and In fact, she serves as an example of how to maintain a sense of joy while living in this world full of so much sorrow. We can learn from an 84-year-old woman who loved Jesus, who was looking for the Messiah. The joy that Anna expressed or experienced was according to faith and not feelings. In fact, you could say true joy always follows faith. Think of it. True joy always follows faith, not your feelings. Because your feelings can lie to you. But true joy is a matter of faith. 
And this is a woman of faith. And we can learn from her, her life. There are four acts of faith we find here in our text. Examples of how to maintain a sense of joy in our lives from this woman, this prophetess, Anna. The first thing I notice about her, the first lesson I find from her life is that she did not allow circumstances to define her. Listen, she was a widow and had been a widow for a long time. And back in that day, it was hard to be a widow. Uh, you didn't, your husband didn't have life insurance. Amen. I mean, you didn't get the million dollar check, amen, <laughs> on that policy. There was no health care. There was no health care for, for people at that time. She had some challenging times, and yet she did not let her circumstances define her. Hey, by the way, she was 84 years young. Amen. She lived a long time. And yet we find her here coming to the temple, not expecting less from God, but more from God. Looking for the Messiah because she was looking for Jesus. Amen. And she began to rejoice. She believed God was bigger than her circumstances. Do you believe God is bigger than your circumstances? And if you don't, maybe that's why you don't have joy. The second lesson that I find from her life is that she did not depart from the Lord. She did not depart from the temple serving the Lord. See, a lot of people depart from the Lord when things get rough. Jesus said some of the seed, the sower of the seed, the parable of the sower, that some of the seed that was sown began to grow up, but the weeds began to choke it off. The cares of life began to choke it off. And some of it has been choked off from our joy in the Lord because of the cares of life and the weeds growing up around us. But she did not depart from the Lord. She continued to serve the Lord. That word depart in Greek literally means to instigate, to revolt, to desert. She did not allow the trials in her life to instigate her to abandon her first love. She did not allow the trials, the situation, don't tell me she didn't have any trials, amen. 84 years old, she, some, she had seen some things. She had had some nights where she worried whether or not she would be provided for the next day. She had some concerns, uh, uh, probably in an earlier year, she wondered if she'd ever remarry. She never did remarry. She had some issues, some times of loneliness. Can any of you relate to that? In her life, and yet she did not allow her trials to instigate her, to incite her to leave her first love. We can learn from an 84-year-old woman, amen? We can learn from Anna. The third thing is that she fasted and prayed. She's a woman who believed in fasting and prayer. Listen, show me a joyless, a joyless believer, I'll show you a prayerless saint. Show me a joyless believer, I'll show you a prayerless saint who's still looking to other people to give them joy rather than looking to the Lord. She believed in fasting and in prayer. We must pray, why? Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us that in verses 12 and 13, therefore put on the whole armor of God. And the way we arm ourselves is through prayer. Prayer will keep your mind right. Prayer will keep your mind right. Now some people say, but I've been praying. But they've been praying, they've been complaining more than they've been praying. Amen. But true adoration and praise of our God and dependence upon him. The result of that is joy. It changes your mindset. It changes your spirit. She was a woman of fasting and prayer. She armed herself with the mind of God that she might hold fast to true joy. Here's the fourth thing we notice in her life is that she was willing to share the joy. The latter part of verse 38, she didn't keep the, the good news, you know, to herself. Amen. She didn't keep the good news of the gospel to herself. A person who is truly filled with the joy of the Lord is going to share that joy with other people. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, no one, when he has lit a lamp, 
puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on a lampstand that those who come in may see the light. She wasn't living incognito, but she spoke to everybody who was looking for a redeemer. Now here's a lesson for us. Everybody in Jerusalem, everybody on the Temple Mount wasn't looking for a redeemer, just like everybody that comes to church is not looking for Jesus. They were looking for other things. A business connection or some type of you know, support or whatever or whatever. But they're not looking for Jesus. And there is a difference. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here today? Are you looking for Jesus? Are you looking for the Messiah? And she spoke to everyone who realized that they needed a savior. Everybody that said, I'm broke. I'm busted and disgusted. I'm sick and tired of being stuck on stupid. I want to know what it is to have life and life abundantly. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Those are the people Anna spoke to. Amen. She said, I got good news for you. There's a redeemer. Amen. Everybody don't want to hear the news. Everybody's not going to heaven. Everybody is not looking for Jesus. Christmas is a great time to bear witness to the great joy we have in Christ. We can maintain that joy by following Anna's Example, And yet despite the fact that we have the knowledge of this great joy, many believers, and I include myself in this comment, this statement, struggle at times maintaining a sense of joy in today's world. And yes, we have the example of honor. But there, we need to also be aware of four thieves, I call them, which seek to rob us of our joy on a daily basis. The first one here, I don't know if it's on the screen, but I forgot to give it. Yeah, they, they got it on there. Thanks, guys. The first one is covetousness. Covetousness can rob you of joy. Looking at what other people have, wanting what they have, mad at God because he hadn't given it to you yet. Amen. Oh, that's nobody here, right? <laughs> Coveting. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. It's a sentiment, it's a statement I think many times lost on the church because contentment requires godliness and godliness is evidence of our delight or our joy in the Lord. Godliness with contentment is great gain. But in order to be content, I've got to be godly. And many times we're unwilling to be godly and we wonder why we're discontent. You see how I'm saying? How that works. James warns against this in James chapter 4, if you can turn there with me. James chapter 4, we'll read the words of James. And many of you know where I'm going with this. James chapter 4. We receive this warning in regards to covetousness. James says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasures that war in your members, in your body. You lust and do not have. You murder. Remember, Jesus said to hate your brothers to commit murder. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And when you do ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss. Because it's all about you, that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then James is bold enough to say, you're acting like adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in you yearns jealously. God is jealous over you. He never took that kindergarten course of sharing things with other people. He will not share you with the world. And many times my wife has said to me, oh, Al, you're just jealous. And I would remind her, I'm just being like God. (laughs) Amen. God is jealous over us. He doesn't want to share you with the world. James says, do they not come, these fights that you have and divisions in the church and all these things, because he's writing to the church, do not come from your pleasures that war in your members. That word war is the Greek word stratuo. And it's where we get our word strategy. To serve, it means to serve in a military campaign. Military soldiers, you soldiers, ex-soldiers, retired. So you know you have to have a strategy against your enemy to defeat them. It means to contend with carnal inclinations. Carnal inclinations. So the idea here is that through covetousness, our flesh strategizes against God's will for our life. Your flesh strategizes against you. The Bible says that the flesh wars, strategizes against the spirit. The devil has all kinds of strategies. He knows exactly what gets on your last nerve. He knows when you're hungry is when, you know, problems come <laughs> you know when you're irritable when you're on the edge you know that he he strategizes using your flesh to 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 get you out of god's will and in the flesh out of the spirit it's a strategy he's strategizing right now but there's some sitting here struggling with listening by the spirit and others are listening by the flesh And the flesh is strategizing and trying to find something that I've said or something someone else said or they took your seat or your parking space to distract you from the will of God. Amen. Come on. The strategy of our flesh. Pleasures that war strategize in us against the will of God. And the Greek word for pleasure in James chapter 4 or pleasures is the Greek word Hedone, hedone, it's where we get our word hedonism. He's talking about hedonistic action, sensual delight, self-indulgence. So when I talk about pleasures, I'm not talking about creature comforts, amen. I like my creature comforts. I like pressing the button on our couch at home and that little lever comes up and my feet kick out, amen. I like the creature comfort of having a remote, amen. Switching channel. I like my creature comforts. I like to, you know, if I can take a vacation. Or no, he's not talking about those kind of pleasures. He's talking about that which is sensual and demonic, self-seeking. That which works against the will of God. James warns us, or Paul rather warns us that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And this is the pleasure he's talking about. That which is sensual and self-indulgence. which is against the will of God. And mankind has been deceived, and yes, even many believers have been deceived into believing that through the pursuit of pleasure, we can attain true joy. But apart from God, emptiness is our only reward. Ask a millionaire or a billionaire. You can't earn enough money to buy yourself joy. Satan's strategy is to rob every believer of true joy, the world of true joy for that matter, but especially every believer. And why is that? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. He doesn't want you to be joyful in Christ. Nehemiah 8.10 says, do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. 
Now, I said four culprits, thieves that try to rob us of our joy on a daily basis. There's three more, and I've taken the acrostic joy to point out these other three. The J-O-Y, right? The second thief is judgmentalism. Judgmentalism, a judgmental spirit can rob you of joy. Amen. And we struggle with it from time to time, you know, the spirit of judgmentalism that can come in. And, and, and you know, if you've got judgmental, a judgmental spirit, you don't have joy. You ever meet a judgmental person, they don't have joy. And they're always pointing the finger at somebody else and, and all of that. Judgmentalism. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, the way in which you judge people, it will be measured back to you. Now, when we talk about judgment, let me make this clear that I'm not talking about uh, discernment. There's a difference. To judge somebody is to basically say, you know what? Look at the person, their outward appearance or the situation and go, you're hopeless. That's judgment. Well, that person, they're surely going to hell. That's judgment. We're not called to be the judge. We're to be in the witness stand, not the judgment seat. Jesus said, don't judge in that, in that final sense. You don't know what's going to, how God's going to work in that person's life. We talk about you know, discernment, however. Somebody walks in and says, oh, Pastor Al, by the way, there's another way to God other than Jesus Christ. That's, now God's given me discernment, how? By the wisdom of his word to sternly rebuke such an individual. Oh, you're judging him. I'm not judging him. I'm rebuking him because they're teaching false doctrine. Amen. And so there's false doctrine being taught or whatever. I have a responsibility as a pastor. You have a responsibility as a believer to point it out. That's discernment of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so there is a difference between judgment and discernment. And some people say, oh, we need the whole, you know, the whole thing today. Oh, we've got to be open-minded. Well, they just have a different way of thinking about it, but all roads lead to God. No, they don't. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. I think that was pretty clear the first time he said it. Amen. And, but some people don't want to be open-minded, but you're so open-minded, as the old saying goes, that your brains fall out. You don't even have common sense anymore. You're just open to any and everything. If you don't stand for Jesus, you'll fall for anything. Amen. So God wants us to, to not have a judgmental spirit, but rather to focus on being a witness to others of God's divine grace and mercy Toward us. In fact, the Bible says we are to be ambassadors of God's manifold, the manifold grace of God. Speaking truth, but yet grace and mercy into the lives of people who desperately need it. The same way God has dealt with you, you deal with others by grace. The O in the acrostic joy stands for others. Now, this is a good one. The other people can rob you of your joy. You're having a great day, and then you run into that person. The joy suckers. Amen. Other people, other people's opinions about you, their, their criticism of you or what have you, can rob you of your joy in the Lord. But Proverbs 29, 25 tells us that the fear of man brings a snare but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Trust in the Lord. It's God's opinion about me that really matters. It's not the opinion of men. Someone said, as a pastor friend of mine, said, people change, but not that much. Amen. I never forget that. Because people are fickle. I'm fickle. We're all fickle. Amen. But Jesus remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's opinion of you. He said he loved you back then. He still loves you today. But there are folks who say they love you back then, but they don't love you today. That's all right. Because it's his opinion that matters. Those who trust in the Lord, they will be safe. Don't let other people steal your joy. And then the why in the acrostic, the fourth thief, if you will, the why in the acrostic joy stands for yesterday. Our past can rob us of our joy. 
our past. Trying to live your life or define yourself by what happened back then today. It will rob you of joy. Paul had a great remedy for this. He said in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Keep your eye on the prize. There's only one thing you can do. I mean, there's a lot of things you did back then. All right, amen, come on. But there's only one thing you can do about it today, and that is press on in your upward call in Christ Jesus. Get your eye on the prize that is Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't allow yesterday to rob you of the blessing and the joy that God has for you today. Yeah, pastor, what about tomorrow? Jesus said, don't worry about it. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added. But if it's today, then rejoice in today, because today we have great joy. Through faith in Christ. In Christ we have great joy to counter the great sorrow found in this world. The shepherds were afraid, and the angel said, oh, don't be afraid, there's great joy. Thank God for the great joy of Christmas. Through faith in Jesus, we have access to the originator of great joy. Great joy is not a philosophy or ideology. It's a person. It's an encounter with the living God. The Bible says in Psalm 1611, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. He's talking about eternal pleasures, not the passing sensual pleasures of this world, but eternal pleasures in the Lord. In your presence, Lord, is the fullness of joy. In the Lord, listen, think about that. In your presence is the fullness of joy. The problem is, is that we as believers do not acknowledge his presence. And there are some believers who even say, I'm alone, and they're not alone. I know we may feel alone, but we don't walk by feelings. We walk by, amen, faith in God's promises. God's presence is always with us. Now, there were times, I remember, you know, washing dishes one time, amen, one time. We have a dishwasher now, amen? But before we could afford a dishwasher, I would stand there and wash dishes, and I remember sometimes the Holy Spirit would come over me washing dishes. I said, Lord, wait a minute, Lord, you can't, you can't come here now. I mean, you got to wait till I get in church, and I'm down at an altar, a wood altar, crying out to God. I got to be in a, a service, you know, before. No, God says, right now, wherever you are, wherever you are, no matter what you're doing, washing dishes, man, big old, Tears coming down, just falling in the suds because of his presence. Or in my car, sensing his presence. Or just walking around, and I can sense his presence with me. Because I'm acknowledging him. Acknowledging him. Do we do that in our lives as believers? And we wonder why we have no joy. Are you acknowledging his presence? The Bible tells us that we should do that. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, in all your ways acknowledge him, not in some of your ways. You know, Jesus, can you wait outside the bedroom door? I got some things to say to my husband. <laughs> I got some things to say to my wife, you know. Put Jesus and the kids out there, and then you're acting like a fool, you know. No, in the midst of our home, we acknowledge your presence. On my job, I acknowledge your presence. I'm not alone. You know, at, at, at work or whatever you're doing in school, I acknowledge that I'm never alone, that the Lord is here with us. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. That word acknowledge means to consider, to recognize, to be acquainted with. In the presence is the fullness. His presence is the fullness of joy. And so when we talk about joy, we're not talking about this silly grin on your face all the time, even though that may be a, a result of it. We're talking about an, an internal peace and relationship with the living God, that confidence that dwells within the joy of the Lord, 
knowing that I'm never alone, the Lord is there with me. And how can we practice that? Because to have joy is to be spiritually healthy. How do we practice that in our lives as believers? Well, there's three things I want to give you, ways that we can practice this in our lives. Practice, it was Brother Andrew, I think, wrote the book, Practicing the Presence of God. How can we practice our joy or the practice the presence of God in our own lives? And remind ourselves that I'm never alone, that he is there with me. Here are three things that I want to give you. Number one is rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The Bible says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, Paul says, rejoice. Now that is offensive to our flesh. What do you mean rejoice in the Lord always? I just lost my spouse. I just had this accident. What do you mean rejoice in the Lord? Rejoice in the Lord and not in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. That, that Greek word for in is, is pretty similar to our English word. It is N. Spelled with an E, or we spell it with an I. It can also be translated in the Lord, through the Lord. It speaks of a fixed position, a place, time, and, or state, a relationship, get this, of rest. I don't understand the circumstances and the situation, Lord, but I choose to rejoice through you. To rejoice in your promises and your faithfulness in my life. To rejoice in you. To rest in you in the midst of this swirling tornado or whatever that's going on around me in my life. I'm going to rejoice in you and your promises, your faithfulness, and your ability. Look at the situation through the lens of your ability rather than through the lens of my weakness. Rejoice in who he is in the midst of the situation. Jesus stood up in the storm on the Sea of Galilee and rebuked the wind and the waves. He was there with the disciples. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in a fiery furnace and they weren't even, they didn't smell like smoke, their hair wasn't singed or anything because Jesus appeared there in the fire with them. They were focused on Christ. Lord, you have authority over the situation, so I will rejoice in you. Amen? Rejoice. Be glad in what God is able to do, not what you can see or what you're able to do. Rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, think on these things. Our joy has a lot to do with where our mind is right now. Think on these things. The old computer adage, garbage in and garbage out is still true. What, you, what dominates your mind will determine your actions. You can bank on it. You might have it under control right now, but you keep dwelling on that. It's going to show up somewhere. It's going to slip one day. You're going to say something that you, know, you didn't mean to say or whatever. What dominates your mind? What dominates your thinking? Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Paul says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue in, uh, and, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. My goodness, isn't that the problem for many of us? It's my problem. I don't know about you. That if I find myself meditating on some offense or something, man, I just find myself getting angry, right? I mean, you can have curse words come up into your mind. Oh, I'm just talking. I'm just saying. Amen. You can, if you meditate on stuff long enough, you can start having some carnal thoughts. And you realize that, Lord, why am I thinking? This is stinking thinking, as someone once said. And I need to re re repent of that and get my mind on that which is praiseworthy. You know, you husbands and wives, you know, if you're always thinking those negative things, find something to praise your spouse about. Oh. Amen. Well, I can't find anything. Well, you found something to get her. Amen. She's still the same woman. You found something to get him. He's still the same man. Well, all he does is work and bring it. Hey, at least he's got a job. Amen. Praise him for that. Praise God. Amen. Well, think on those things that are praiseworthy, of virtue, that are good report, lovely. Amen. Noble, true, just. There's nothing in here about hatred and, and bitterness and, and pride or anything like that. 
And when we don't think on those things, we wonder why we, have, we don't have any joy. You've been spending all day long eating junk food, watching TV, thinking everybody hates you, and you wonder why you have no joy. Oh, it's getting quiet. Let me move on. <laughs> think about it, though. The devil knows if he can control this, he can rob you of joy. The battlefield is between your ears, and therefore Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do I do that? Read your Bible. Stay in the word of God. Amen. Replace those wicked thoughts with the thoughts of God. Knowing his word. Here's the last thing. If you want to maintain an attitude of joy. Is you have to exercise dominion. You know. uh, Rejoicing in the Lord. And thinking on these things. Is exercising dominion. But we need to exercise dominion. Now. I think there's a lot of believers. who, Who are not aware. Of the fact that the devil is afraid of you. That Jesus has given us the power. To crush the devil's head. We think the devil's winning, but the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal, and Jesus has already won the victory. And we're looking at the wrong thing, and so we need to understand that God has given us dominion over those thoughts and over, over you know, the attitude of our hearts. I was reading, it really came to me the other day, I was reading uh, Genesis chapter 4. It's the story of how uh, Cain killed his brother Abel, the first uh, if you will, murder in scripture. Cain killed his brother Abel and uh, he was upset with Abel because God accepted Abel's sacrifice, his, his offering rather, and did not accept Cain's offering. And many of you know the story, but you know, uh, Abel offered a lamb from his flock to the Lord and the Lord accepted his offering. It was a complete offering and, and Cain only gave the Lord a portion of his crops and, and he was a, a, you know, a farmer or whatever. And, and God rejected Cain's offering. We don't want to get into a, a whole Bible study on it, but Cain basically was off, wasn't offering himself wholly to the Lord. And, but you think it, on the other hand, Abel's offering of the, the, the lamb from the sheep from his herd was sort of representative prophetic of what Jesus would do for us as the Lamb of God. So God embraced Abel's offering, but rejected Cain's offering, and Cain was upset. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, we find there where the Lord said, said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? In other words, Cain, where's your joy? And maybe the Lord is saying that to someone today, watching online, or at Creekside, or here in his auditorium, or upstairs, And God is saying to you, why is your countenance falling? Why are you so angry all the time? And then he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. We think we cannot do well and rebel against God's word and be accepted. Lord said, don't you know if you do well that you'll be accepted? And if you don't, you're playing that game with God, beware. You know, you're not an exception to the rule, but sin is lying at the door. The NIV, I think, says sin is crouching at the door, ready to get you, ready to spring up and take you out. And the Lord says sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So I looked at that word, that phrase, rule over it. Rule over it. It literally means to take or to exercise dominion. Now, the Lord is speaking directly to Cain. So he had the Lord's immediate help right there. And the Lord is appealing to him, saying, hey, you know what? You must rule over it. You got my help. You can rule over this thing. It's desire, and it won't quit until it's fulfilled. It's desire is to have you. It's desire. That phrase, it's desire, speaks of a longing, a craving. It speaks of a man burning with lust for a woman or a woman burning in lust for a man. 
It's insatiable. It's just like, you know, there's not going to stop until it's satisfied. That's sin's desire for you. It's relentless desire is for you. It's, it's, it's like the craving, another definition is a craving of a beast for food. Now, I have a chocolate lab at home. Labs are notorious for eating all the time. And if we feed her all we, she wants to eat, she just gets really fat. So we've got her on a kind of a diet, you know, feed her twice a day, but, you know, a little bit. But before we're feeding her, every time she wants something to eat, but she's always hungry, insatiable desire to eat something. But even not just a, a household pet, but an animal, a beast out in the field is desire for food. That's the way sin is towards you. His desire is to have you. And Jesus informed Peter, he said, Peter, Satan has asked for you. It desires you. Like a man filled with unbridled lust for a woman. It desires you to sift you like wheat. Notice that. Can't take your salvation, but the devil can sift you. A little problem here, a little irritation there, a little disappointment here, let down there, whatever. Over time, sift you, and the next thing you know, you're walking around as a believer without any joy. His desire is to sift you like wheat. Can't take your salvation, but it can lessen your effectiveness for the Lord and rob you of joy. But Jesus said, I got good news for you. I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Notice that. I prayed for you so that you'll always feel good. I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Listen to this. Because joy always follows faith. I don't have joy. Where's your faith? If your faith is in the Lord and you're walking by faith, joy will become a partner with that faith. But faith will not follow our feelings again because our feelings can lie to us. He says, you must rule. The Lord says to Cain, you must rule over it. Another translation or another way of, of, of translating that Hebrew phrase, ruling over it, is rule over him. I thought that was interesting. The Hebrew word for rule over it or rule over him is the word atharim. Atharim. It speaks of places or perhaps a mountain pass or cavern route. What does that mean? In other words, in Christ. We can take dominion over the mountain passes, whatever I'm going through, the cavern that I'm going through, the places where the devil threatens to control us. We can have dominion over the devil. And we have dominion over him. But in those mountain passes of trials or despair that you're going to, it's where we tend to give up and say, you know, let the devil have his way. In that cavern that you're going down into, you don't look like you're going to get back out. You, you start to give up and the devil robs you of your joy. You feel like you can't go on. But the Lord God is saying, Atharim, whatever place you're in, whatever mountain pass you're going through, you take dominion and you rule over it. Don't allow the devil to rule over you. And you have dominion and power in the name of Jesus. Amen. To say as Jesus Christ said, amen. He said to Peter, who said, you won't go to the cross, Lord. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are mindful of the things of men and not the things of God. He took dominion is what he was doing. Get behind me. Amen. Because the cross is before me. Amen. You can take dominion. A lot of believers are out of shape because they're not exercising dominion. And getting beat up by the enemy because they don't take a stand in their home and say, not here, not anymore, in Jesus' name. Amen? You have to speak in authority because God has given you that authority. Where Satan wants to rule, we have the ability to defeat him. This is what James says. James chapter 4, verse 7. Pastor, how do I... 
Take dominion over him, over the situation. Submit to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you like the coward he is. Amen? Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. My friend, I want to talk about joy today. Yes, Christmas joy. But a lot of believers are living joyless lives. Joyless faith was just an oxymoron. God wants you to have joy, great joy. And I would say to you today that it's time to get your joy out of layaway. Amen. <laughs> You've been trying to earn enough money to pay it off and, and all that to get it out yourself. Listen, we can't earn nor do we deserve this great joy. But it's freely given through faith in Jesus Christ. Psalm 51 verse 12 says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. I love that, and I have to be reminded, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, it's not the joy of my performance, but it's the joy of your salvation. It's not the salvation that I, I have created, the, I, my idea of what salvation ought to look like, or my religious laws, or, or whatever. But it is your salvation. You have given it to us. It's totally of you. We did nothing to earn it, nor do we deserve it. That's where you can have joy when you realize it's all Jesus and not you. The joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. He's a generous God. Even in times when we go through times of sorrow, and I didn't, you know, we will go through times of sorrow, but listen to the words of Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure in the night, for a night, but joy, there it is, comes in the morning. Joy follows faith. Amen. Christ was born that we might exchange our junk for divine joy. Jesus said it this way in John 15, 11, and 12. These things I have spoken to you that my joy, amen, you see there? Not yours. My joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. That was Pastor Al Pittman with a message of eternal joy. Timely for this season. Would you share today's podcast with someone who needs this good news? Visit cwccs.org. That's where you'll find the entire archive, links to share, a place for prayer, and an opportunity to give your year-end gift to support this ministry. That's cwccs.org. Catch us next week as we finish the year strong. This program has been presented by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.